I'm kind of shifting from that. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger to like, no, like perhaps there have been times that's held me back and it's okay to grieve that and to recognize that. That being said, like, it's such a part of who I am and how I interact and how I live my life. And I'm like getting to a point where I'm really kind of happy with who I am as a person. And I, I think it would be false to say that I am like that the parts of me that I love don't have something to do with my struggles and my mental health. Robin, and you're listening to the Inglorious RPG Podcast, a podcast where no topic is off limit, self-care, change, challenges, and having funds encouraged, and reflection is highly recommended. All right, welcome back. Um, if you've been listening for a while now, you uh, may have noticed that last week's episode featured a new intro song. Guys, I hate it. Um, I don't know... Like, I was just looking for a change, and I was like, okay, let me make this beat and see what happens. And I was like, wow, this is sick. Um, I should be performing at Coachella this year. And then I listened back to it recently, um, and I was just like, I don't know. I looked at myself, and I was like, this is not where we're going with this. So, yeah, um, I'll be back to the new, or sorry, I'll be back to the old intro for now. But don't be surprised if I pull some more changes on you guys. Um, Obviously, I'd like to provide new episodes every other week still. um, But I'd also like to improve the podcast as we go on. So I'm just figuring that out while still recording episodes. Um, So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for choosing to listen in again after that existential crisis. Speaking about existential crises, uh, this episode deals with anxiety. My guest and I will be discussing mental health, primarily anxiety, which is an area that I'm familiar with but not an expert on. So just a reminder that while we'll be discussing anxiety, we're not psychologists or therapists. I do hope to have some episodes episodes out soon with licensed therapists. So with that being said, just if you do require professional help, reach out to your physicians, school wellness centers, um, even government websites to look for places that you can get the psychological assistance that might be a good fit for you. So a little update on things. Here in Toronto, we're back in a bit of a lockdown situation. Restaurants, uh, gyms, and indoor activities are limited, but restaurants and gyms are closed. So I'm sure that uh, many of us are experiencing anxiety and other feelings like frustration, disappointment, sadness. I know many people are angry. There are people rioting about the gyms. Um, It sucks. It really does. There's lots of ambiguity surrounding this lockdown. Like some people are traveling while others are hiding in their bedrooms. So it's a weird time. Um, My little anxiety monster popped up a bit around the holidays, but I've been okay. Um, I'm making an effort to stay in touch with friends, to exercise, drink water, have wine some nights, listen to good music to get through another shitty quarantine. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll give a little bit of history on my experiences with anxiety. Um, it probably really came to the forefront for me in second year of university. I guess that's when I kind of realized 
because I've been taking psych courses, I probably had barely even heard of the word anxiety as like a mental health issue um, until university. So yeah, it was just basically whether it was tests or like events, um, I found myself experiencing lots of anticipatory stress. I would think about how things would go, whether that be good or bad. Um, and then when the day arrived, I'd either have all these built up expectations and I'd feel let down if things didn't go as planned or I'd feel amazing if they were better than expected. Obviously, the latter is a good thing, but the stress and ruminating thoughts um, and ruminating thoughts are usually just like dark or sad thoughts that keep playing in your head over and over. Um, those thoughts were exhausting. And I do remember like just having a lot of trouble sleeping during undergrad. And I've told you guys on the podcast before, since I was in my second year of my master's, I have been a huge fan of reading before bed. I just find it really relaxes me and it like has made me have this routine. Like I literally will even read before I go to bed, even if I was just out drinking, um, I will do it drunk. Um, I find that reading before bed just kind of relaxes me and gets me mellow and then I can fall asleep easier and I usually have a better sleep. Um, yeah, so I mean, I've been talking in the past here mostly, but I still do ruminate. Um, it's interesting. I am working now and I thought I'd have more anxiety surrounding my job, but literally um, the anxiety that I have actually helps me at my work. Um, my coworkers call me the machine. Um, when I go there, I know, like, I know that I'm just going there for the day. Um, I know a lot of us, you know, you work a nine to five, mine's like an, what, like an eight to three, eight to four kind of job. And I know that I'm there to just do the work. And then when I get it done, um, I feel a lot better because the next day I know I won't have to do that. Even though of course every day is pretty repetitive. Um, yeah, it's like my heart will race a little. So, you know, I know that anxiety is there. I know that, um, I can feel myself at times like I bite my cheek sometimes when I'm anxious that's usually more like if it's like a social thing um, or like I play with my rings or whatever it is but um, at work I don't mind having that mentality uh, I know that I'm just having that experience because I need to get things done and it's more so like okay I need to do this this and this and this and then I know that once that day ends okay I'm done for the day and of course some jobs aren't like that like being a teacher a lawyer, um, many other jobs, social worker, but yeah, um, it's not really a problem for me at this job, at least. We'll see what happens if I, when I switch jobs or careers. Um, but for me, I think that anxiety in relationships, whether that's with a colleague, friend, or a partner, that gives me greater stress, um, than work stress has. And also school stress also was more anxiety provoking than work has been for me. Um, I think relational stress, like things, whether it's with a colleague, it's just because naturally I don't really like confrontation. Um, I think many of us can agree with that. Some of, I mean, many of us also can say that we love to confront people or we just do it naturally. Um, but for me, that isn't something that comes naturally. I usually have to think a lot about what I want to say. Um, so yeah, what I have learned from that is that Anxiety in relationships um, is just really, it's really important to speak up for yourself um, and, but also not hold on to anger or other feelings for too long. And in order to do that, you need to speak to the person who, you know, you might have 
had some sort of confrontation with. Um, so it might, sometimes you might be confronted by someone and be shocked about what they had to say. Um, so maybe in that situation, it might not be the best to go at them head on because you might have been surprised with what they had to say. Um, and then usually, I know for me, I can get defensive and what I mean to say doesn't come across properly. Um, so that's what I mean when I say like you got to take a deep breath or just like not respond out of anger or out of um, out of surprise. Um, so in those situations, sometimes you just have to sit with those thoughts for a little um, and then you realize like, oh, this isn't as big of a deal as I thought. Or maybe you didn't agree with what that person had to say um, and you do want to talk to them a bit more about it. I don't think there's anything wrong with going back and having that discussion as long as, again, you're in like a bit of a space where you've had some more clarity. Um, but overall, I'd say it's not a good thing to hold things in. Um, as the wise ogre Shrek once said, better out than in. Another thing with ruminating is that they can get in the way of your true feelings and emotions. Like you can really get stuck in those thoughts. And I don't have answers to stop those entirely. Um, I still do ruminate. I've been through tough periods where I blamed myself and really made matters worse for myself. You know those days where you just like lie in bed and think about how badly you fucked up a situation? Like obviously I still do that. Um, and I think that, you know, we have a lot more, or like with the pandemic especially, I think there's, there's a lot of time to just kind of think about ways in which you could have approached the situation differently. Um, but eventually you just got to get out of that because the situation's over and done with. I don't think always coming back to a person, if it happened to be a situation with a person is the best thing to do. Um, you know, sometimes you just have to let those things go. For me though, I know, I know this, um, moving through ruminations happens faster for me now compared to, you know, a few years ago. Um, a big thing for me has just been like changing my location or literally getting up from what I'm doing and just basically distract, distra distracting myself. Um, I'll cook, I'll bake, I'll go for a stupid little walk, but I just basically need to shake it off in a sense. Um, oh my God, I just feel like I quoted Taylor Swift there. Um, but you know, sometimes you do have to wallow a little and that's okay too. I think that setting a discreet amount of time for myself to actually like sit in that upset and let myself feel those feelings. But then once it's over, I will get up and I'll start fresh basically. Um, whether that's, you know, getting up and dancing, whether that's going and calling a friend, um, going on another stupid little walk. Sometimes you have to do two of those a day. So yeah, um, that's really what I've experienced, you know, what I experienced with anxiety. Like I can tell you more about it, but I think we'll definitely be getting that into the episode. You'll hear about it all soon, not just from my perspective though. Um, so yeah, I love to start off with a couple highlights from the entertainment world. And of course, with that being said, I have a couple recommend recommendations for this week. Some new and some basically, do you live under a rock, Robin? Thankfully, during these unprecedented times, we still have new music to listen to. The first song I'm talking about today is Most Men by Amber Marks. It is cathartic and Amber is literally amazing. I didn't even catch the lyrics when I first listened because I'm just captivated by her. Um, <laughs> if you've ever felt wronged by a person though, or you're trying to move forward and like heal wounds from someone who's treated you like trash, even when you, when you know you should not have been treated like trash because you're a goddamn delight, stop listening to this podcast, go listen to Most Men, and then come back 
so you can listen to the rest of the episode. Another great song that came out recently is Bad Dream by Cannons. If you don't know their older tracks, um, Talk Talk and Fire For You, check those out as well. They're just really fun and catchy, and I know that we need that now more than ever. Okay, and two albums that came out recently, Capri Songs by FKA Twigs and Lyrics To Go Volume 3 by Coda The Friend, both um, filled with great songs, fun ones, sadder ones, um, and just some great tracks all around, so check those out. On the other side of things, though, I'm listening to something very depressing. And when I say listening to, I actually mean watching, because I'm watching one of the most heartbreaking shows to ever be released. I'm finally watching Normal People, which is based on the novel by Sally Rooney that I read in 2020. It absolutely destroyed me as I was in the peak of a breakup. But now, it's a beautiful show. (laughs) It's about two young adults with this connection between them that just doesn't fade even after they've hurt one another, been with other people, and just tried to take different life paths. Um, both the leads are incredible and just did a great job portraying the characters from the book. You know, you always want to like read a book and then watch the movie or watch the show and just have it be the way you wanted it to. And very rarely does that happen, but I honestly am loving the show. I can't stop watching. Um, again, though, it is heart wrenching. Don't be fooled by my emotional availability. I still cry and then ruminate and then watch one more episode and then ask my mommy for a hug and watch comedy specials on Netflix. So yeah, I just can't not watch it. Um, It does hit close to home for many people, I think, um, who have watched it because this is, again, like it's not that new of a show. It's been out for like at least like a year or two, but it's a really, really good show. Uh, The Bachelor is on and y'all know I love that shit. Um, I'm excited about this season, not because I think it'll be the most dramatic season yet, even though it started off to a good start, but they're finally traveling and doing cool things again, and it feels normal even though we just went back into another lockdown. Um, so spoiler from last week's episode, I really liked Susie's date. I like her. She seems very genuine. Um, and I also liked a lot about how she was very much into how she felt about him. Um, instead of being concerned about making him like her, she was very much herself. And it seems like a few of the other girls have been very concerned about making Clayton the Bachelor like them. So I like her attitude. Um, excited to see more of this season. Um, even though there's no episode this week, very frustrating, but yeah. Um, other than that, I've been having a Spider-Man marathon starting with the Tobey Maguire films and I'm working my way up to Spider-Man No Way Home. I'm an OG Tobey Spider-Man fan though. Like I, I'm sorry, but Tom Holland just doesn't hit the same. I don't know if it's the nostalgia or what it is, but I just, I just love Tobey in that role. Okay, um, lastly though, for the book, I finally finished Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. There are great tips in there, honestly, just like about keeping romance and intensity alive with a long-term partner. I mean, Esther is a relationship queen for a reason. Um, but basically, like, the premise of the book is just to let couples know that, like, sex doesn't always have to fade as the years go by. Um... I definitely read this out of interest, but also as a precautionary measure (laughs) for future long-term relationships. Um, Because to me, being physical with my partner is very key. I genuinely don't like being touched by just anyone, but with a man that I feel connected to, like, that's exactly what I want. Okay, well, now it's time to talk about anxiety. 
my guest, Brittany, from the High Functioning Podcast, a podcast about the realities of mental health and what it means to be high functioning, is here today to share some of her experiences with anxiety, how she approaches a world that's not always friendly to neurodivergent people, and share some light on anxiety in all types of relationships. So thanks for being here, Brittany. Thanks, Robin. I'm so excited. This is a fun way to spend a otherwise too dark, too cold afternoon. (laughs) A very cold afternoon. What is it like minus 20? I haven't even been outside yet. (laughs) Yeah, I've been outside for like a hot five minutes. Sorry, a very cold five minutes. And uh, that's about as long as I was able to last. (laughs) Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, I mean, Brittany, it's exciting. Like you're, you know, without you, I don't know if I would have had a, a podcast. So Guys, we can all thank Brittany. <laughs> that that I think, I think that is a stretch. I think uh, <laughs> I'm sure you would have found someone else to give you some tips and tricks. Um, but I really appreciate that, and I'm excited. Uh, I feel like it's kind of come full circle. I'm excited to be on your podcast now and um, partake in the little community you've built. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. Um, so I guess we can just get into it. Uh, So Brittany, tell us a bit about like what you do and what really made you interested in mental health. Yeah. Um, So what I actually do for work has like absolutely nothing to do with mental health. And I think at one point I honestly thought it would, like I thought I would go into something mental health related because mental health was like everything. Like I was struggling with my own mental health and in in my struggle, I just kind of felt like the best way to almost hide my struggle is to help everyone else and do things in that field, like for everyone else. Um, So I really thought I would live like a very not for profity, like do that whole stay in the mental health, be a psychologist life. Um, But I actually work as a software engineer. Okay. And I think, (laughs) no, and I think it's kind of a testament to learning to cope and with my mental health struggles and not actually letting it take over my entire life. Like it's a part of my life, but I have so much more to me as well. And that's taken kind of a long time to get to, and I'm, it's going to be a journey I'm always on. Um, but yeah, I've struggled with anxiety and depression since I was a kid, but I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. Um, and when I got to university was when I finally was able to like name it and, uh, get help for it and start to kind of determine how I was going to live my life with it. Cause I don't think it's something that just goes away. Um, and there's been many iterations of that learning and there will be many iterations, but, uh, at this point, yeah, anxiety is just like a part of my life. Um, like many other things are a part of my life and it's been interesting, uh, to see how and why it pops up over the years, but inevitably it does. And we just kind of learn to go with it. Mm. No, I think that's really important that you said that like you being in software engineering is kind of just showing you that mental health is just a part of your life and you've Mm -hmm. learned ways to cope with having anxiety and be in a field that's totally different than you expected, but also just know that like, yes, you have anxiety, but it's just a little incorporation to who you are part of you. Exactly. Yeah. That's really important. Um, Exactly. You know, have you ever watched Big Mouth? Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know how there's all like little monsters. There's the hormone monster and the anxiety and the jealous monster. I I like depression kitty. The depression kitty. I love the depression kitty. I feel like that, at least for my experience of depression, that is like spot on. I love the <laughs> depression kitty. So the depression kitty is your alter ego. Yeah. Oh, if, if like I, in you. yeah, if I had, if I had the depression kitty growing up, I'd be able to give 
so much more of a name to what was going on. Yeah. Um, but at the time I was like, I don't know, I guess I'm just lazy and tired. Uh, but now I hope, I really hope that shows like Big Mouth give young people the ability to name what's going on and not just kind of blame themselves and be like, well, I don't know why I can't go to my dance class today. I just can't, you know, but depression, that was it. I had the depression kitty laying on me. Wouldn't that be so nice if now like kids grew up knowing exactly like what was going on because of shows like that? I mean, I'm sure they're not going to be watching Big Mouth at like nine years old, but it's true. Like growing up, you probably like I experienced like tummy aches a lot and like just headaches. Um, And there were just so many times where I wouldn't want to go to school or and it was just because like I was anxious for a test or I was anxious to see like someone in class because they made me upset the day before. I think that, um, yeah, shows like that would be great. And I like that you, yeah. uh, you, you get that too. And I also experienced like a uh, similar only really realizing what I was going through, like with anxiety and um, really in undergrad, when you started learning like in psychology classes, what things were. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that, Kids might not be the ones that watch the shows, but I hope that as we get older and we bring on a new generation of when, you know, forever from now, but when children of ours come about, I think it'll be so different because our parents just didn't have the tools to guide us through that. I feel my mom had some understanding of these things because she also experienced them, but it wasn't in the same way that I'll be able to handle those conversations with my future children. Should I have them? Um, just cause yeah, like it, the knowledge wasn't there. The understanding wasn't there. The vulnerability wasn't there. Yeah, um, yeah. Just even over the last 10 years, like, um, a huge, I feel like a huge example of the world's kind of, or North America's shift in vulnerability for in my life was that when my, so my parents went through a pretty traumatic divorce and when they went through that divorce and I was a kid, like no one really spoke about it. Like it wasn't seen as this thing that brought grief or brought a lot of trauma to a family. It was just like, it was a divorce. We don't really talk about it. Um, and now like, I mean this, it's been more than 10 years, but, um, I feel like now people are recognizing that something like divorce isn't as taboo. Like it is a, a pretty impactful thing on a child Um, and I, I just see that shift, like in our ability to talk about hard things, it's just been, it's been so much more, um, comforting to see that happen. But yeah, like you, like in undergrad, I think we learn, I learned a lot more about these kinds of things. And I think it's both being exposed to it through school. Um, and also just like the slowly shifting world of people starting to talk about it more. Um, and yeah, being in a psych program, learning about it, also starting to volunteer in mental health type work, um, and the general population kind of moving more towards talking about these things. I think all those things together finally made me have that aha moment where I was like, Oh crap, (laughs) (laughs) something needs some help. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone has experienced, you know, some sort of traumatic experience or something that's really like shifted how they feel about certain situations. But now that we're able to speak about it, it's made it so much easier for, I think, 
for many people to come forward and be like, I'm struggling with this um, and ask for the help that they need, which obviously is a great thing. But it's something that, like you said, our parents, even if they were educated or had the knowledge, they wouldn't have been able to speak about it because maybe, again, it was something taboo for their parent, their parents' mm-hmm. generation. And so they weren't able to express themselves because or be, weren't able to help us necessarily because that was something that they never really had from their parents. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The stigma was is was so real. I feel like it's gotten so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I first started in mental health work and volunteering, it was all about stigma reduction, stigma reduction. And now I think it's less about stigma reduction and more like access to resources. Like people are asking for help, but there isn't enough actual like affordable help out there, which is a huge problem on its own. But that being said, it is kind of nice that you know the stigma reduction piece like there has been like the needle has been moved on it and that's really really cool and I think it's a testament to um particularly young people like people like us people of our generation people way younger than us who have managed to really put their discomforts aside and just say like it's more important to talk than to care about like who judges us or what we look like like it's just important to talk about these things so I'm I'm impressed that we were able to do that in a decently short amount of time. And I give a lot of kudos to everyone who stuck their neck out there and, and didn't necessarily get the support they needed um, so that people would get more comfortable with these topics. And so that we can have this conversation now, you know, like yeah. even that is a few years ago, like the podcast, you, you mentioned that I'm my own podcast and we talk about mental health and we get really deep into a lot of scary topics and, like I sat on an idea like that, like doing that podcast for years and could not muster the courage or vulnerability to do that. Um, and now, you know, before this episode, you said like, is anything off limits? And I'm like, nah, <laughs> ask me anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's not, that's not the version of me that you would have encountered even just a few years back. So I think it's, I think we've done, I think we've done good but always more work to do for sure. There's still a lot of work to be done in terms of medication and therapy resources and just resources in general. Exactly. Okay. So, I mean, your podcast is called the high functioning podcast. What does high functioning mean? Yeah. uh, So actually we're recording a third season now and we kind of go back to what high functioning has meant to us previously and what it means now. When we started the podcast high functioning, it was, to kind of acknowledge the fact that it felt like to get any help or to be taken seriously as someone who struggles with their mental health, that you have to be someone who doesn't, you know, thrive, that doesn't succeed, doesn't, can't hold a job, like can't do all these things. And that was not my life at all. Um, I, in, in fact, in many ways, it was because of my mental health and my poor mental state that pushed me to do, to look really like perfect on the outside. And then even as I have kind of reconciled what is the real me and what is like the anxious, like just doing things to feel better me, um, there's still a lot of parts of me that are like very overachieving. Like I'm a super extrovert. And so reconciling that with also being like really anxious and having bouts of depression, like it just didn't, there, there wasn't enough conversation happening about that. So to us, that's what high functioning meant was 
having these two sides of us, like, at least to me, it was like having this side that's can get very, very ill um, mentally and have been a really, really rough state um, while also having the side of me that to the outside can seem almost perfect. Um, but I think over the years, that term um, has kind of changed because I think almost not that, you know, we've done the work and now everyone acknowledges high function anxiety. That's not it, but it's become easier to see those things, not as two separate, but as like all part of me. Um, and so I wouldn't say I'm high functioning anymore. Um, not because I'm not high functioning, uh, but because it's less about separating, if that makes sense. Like, it's like before it was like, Hey, I have anxiety. Hey, I'm, I'm really good at all these things, but I also have anxiety. And now it's like, I, I definitely feel like it's a lot more, Hey, these are all of the parts of my life, including anxiety. Um, and so even though in many ways, like, yes, you could still use the term high functioning. I think we've kind of, we don't feel, at least for me, I don't feel as much of a connection to that term anymore because I just feel like I'm me and I'm all of these things. And I'm also a little broken and who isn't, and we're all figuring it out. Um, but the title has still stuck because it's what we started with and it still represents, um, work and conversations that we wanted to put out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, again, it brings back to your point where you were just like, anxiety is just a part of me, but like, you have so many more, like we have so many more components to us. Like we all have these parts to us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We all have these bits and pieces to us. Um, and I don't really think that it has to define you or like one term can't define a single person. Yeah. I feel like at one point things like anxiety and depression, they just felt so big that it was like hard not to make it such a big part of my identity. Um, it doesn't feel so big anymore. Partially that's because uh, my coping strategies make it not as big of a part of every day anymore. Um, but also just because I've put a lot of work into like developing so many parts of me and we're, it's not as scary to talk about these things. So they just don't feel as big and scary anymore. They're still parts of my life. Like no doubt they are definitely there. Um, but yeah, they don't feel as much like as much of my identity as they once did. That's great. No, that's really great. So like when you do have these experiences where you do feel more anxious um, than usual, how do they, how do you usually have these symptoms, I guess, of anxiety present themselves? And are there certain situations or people that bring about feelings of anxiety? Great question. So I, I used to only be able to describe my anxiety as like, I'm just uncomfortable and I couldn't quite figure it out. Like I just knew I was uncomfortable And, um, recently I came up with an analogy that just really like, this is, this is what it feels like to me. And hopefully it's more relatable, but when I'm anxious, it feels like that feeling you have before you're about to go on stage or before you're about to like present to someone uh, or like present something, but like, it's like that feeling all day, like it doesn't subside. Um, so it's that like discomfort slash could be butterflies slash just generally, ugh. And you're kind of like, you can't just settle in, mm-hmm. um, to your skin. Like it just feels like everything's heightened. Um, and that's what anxiety feels like to me. I don't, uh, I don't have that many panic attacks. It's pretty few and far between at this point in my life, but usually my panic attacks are just like crying, like uncontrollable crying. Um, and I'm not a big crier. So any type of like uncontrolled, like uncontrollable crying is a big thing for me. So yeah, it's just, 
really what it presents itself as for me is that prolonged discomfort. Um, and in terms of like what kind of triggers it, honestly, it really depends. I think the hardest is when I can't explain why, like just a few days ago, I had like a full day of anxiety and I just could not settle. Like I could not kind of calm down. And it's weird for me because I always think even in having anxiety for all these years, that like, oh, well, something had to trigger it or something's off in my brain or I'm overthinking or whatever. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not overthinking. I'm not like nothing's necessarily bad, but I just feel this like tightness in me and this discomfort. And as if like, I just want that relief. Um, and I find, yeah, I find that it's, I think the biggest thing nowadays that I know for a fact will trigger it is if like, I don't know, the best example I can think of is if you get a work email being like, can we have a meeting Monday morning? And like, they don't explain what the meeting's about. Like that will make me spiral. And it's so yeah. uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Like rest of the weekend. Oh, the entire weekend. I read, I read a meme recently and it was like, what I, the way that I need my boss to communicate with me. And it's like, Hey, can we have a meeting on Monday? Honestly, just trying to check in, just saying hello. There's nothing to worry about. Oh, yes. You still have your job, like things like that. And I'm like, yeah, like um, if I don't have that psychological safety with you and you tell me, hey, can we chat on Monday? I'm going to freak out. Like it's going to make me so uncomfortable. Um, so that's a big thing. But otherwise, I think, yeah, sometimes it's just I'm just really uncomfortable and I can't really explain why. And it kind of sucks and it feels ugh, like it feels so sickening, but it is what it is. Yeah, that's fair. Sometimes you just really just don't know what it is. I feel like, I don't know what it is, but I also like the past little while just have days where I feel like, you know, my shoulders are tense. I'm like biting. I bite my cheek a lot when I'm nervous or my lip. Um, I play with rings and stuff, but you know, what's weird is I actually tend to be before I do a podcast. It's like, I guess, because you are in some ways presenting, like I do, I get nervous and like, I feel that in my body. I, I have trouble, you know, it's like you have trouble digesting, mm-hmm. <laughs> like nothing feels right. Like I'd rather eat like little or like nothing because you just don't feel great inside. Um, I was diagnosed with panic disorder in fourth year mm-hmm. and it was only, I mean, I don't have, I really don't, haven't had a panic attack in a long time, but basically it just, I think I mentioned on the podcast before, but like had an allergic reaction to something. And then after that, just like that experience about like three panic attacks a day, it would usually be after eating or during a workout um, in class. Sometimes it happened like when I went to the movies and I avoided drinking because I was scared that it would make the anxiety worse. Um, yeah, it sucked. I felt really weak. And as someone who almost never like asked for help and prided themselves on being strong and independent, I felt really scared and hopeless. Like doctors, they prescribe or the doc, like my doctor prescribed me Ativan, um, you know, that because that's something that you can get for um, anxiety and panic attacks. But my general mindset is like, Oh, I'm strong. I don't need like anything to get me through this, whatever I can do it myself. Um, and I didn't take them at all. I mean, I did get through without taking them ever, but I'm sure it would have made it a little easier on myself. Um, and maybe my, you know, my whole situation, like potentially like being able to fall asleep better, um, writing exams. I wouldn't have taken them before an exam, but you know, while studying or like just being able to get more sleep. Um, I could have taken them when I really needed to. So yeah, having those panic attacks lasted for about two months. Um, so I eventually, like I went from being a constant panic and like constantly worrying about when the next panic attack would occur 
to having like less of them. Um, it's just the days and time went on. I feel like what worked for me was reminding myself that like I got through yesterday, like the day before. Um, it just sounds ridiculous because, you know, I wasn't really on the verge of death or anything, but when you have a panic attack, it feels like you're getting there. Um, so yeah, I use like something called the grounding technique, which is something that like the therapist I saw at that time recommended. It was basically you just use your senses to like see, feel, hear, and notice things going on in your surroundings to like block the negative impending doom kind of thoughts. And yeah, I just honestly tried to tried my best to live my normal life, even though, even though like things like being in class um where like I felt like I couldn't escape if I were to have a panic attack that was also just like an anxiety thing was like I didn't want to have one like when I was in front of people um yeah that would give me anxiety um yeah and yeah I just I don't know I guess I just really appreciated the people who knew what I was dealing with and would like hug me because they knew it would calm me down but like I we've said it's really important to have strategies that you can do on your own when you feel those feelings of a panic attack coming on or just when you feel anxious in general I haven't really had any panic attack in the last couple years like sometimes I obviously get anxious but the last one I had I think was like a main bigger one I had was like when I was on a road trip out east with my old boyfriend and we tried some like seafood on the east coast of course um delicious but we were driving back to Toronto and I started getting like this panicky feeling that if I did have a reaction to that food, then I'd be stuck in the car without a hospital nearby or whatever. But I went back and like, I really talked myself down. Um, I tried embracing the view, like talking to my boyfriend and just reminding myself that I'd be okay. Like I was all those times before. So anyways, yeah, now I just eat everything. I try everything. Um, I traveled like in France and stuff and around Europe a few summers ago and just tried everything that I could even though I like, I didn't eat mushrooms for four years because the reaction I initially had happened after I ate pizza with mushrooms. And I was like, it's gotta be those fuckers. But I literally just had a mushroom pizza this weekend and I'm still here. So yeah, that's just how it's been. Um, I'm thankful that like now I I don't have panic disorder Um, that subsided. Sometimes you don't know why, because again, like for me, it was being scared of dying because I eat something that could cause me to die. Yeah. (laughs) But when I like when I have those like panic or when I've had those panic attacks, a lot of it like really came back to like having to talk myself down and like those situations just again, they would come out of nowhere. So it's, you know, it's unfortunately like with anxiety, it's like you don't always exactly know what the cause is. Um, and then you just like you said, you have to work on it and figure out things that help you get through them. I was like fortunate to have someone who understood panic attacks when I didn't. And like have someone to support me through that and like was really helpful at that time. One of my worst almost fears, but it's something that I experienced, um, is not knowing who to call or not having anyone to kind of talk you through it. I think it's a really fine line between like codependency and support. And I think I've walked that line like plenty of time. Um, and it's something that I'm, I, I work on, but, um, sometimes you just need to get out of your head. Like sometimes you just need someone to ground you and having at least one person that even if you never actually call, but just knowing that there wouldn't be an issue, um, if you did, I think that's such a special and important part of coping that we don't talk about enough. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to open up to that person. It's hard to, in the midst of that 
feeling of anxiety and feeling of panic, just be like, Hey, I am really not okay right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really, really hard thing, but I, yeah, the idea, I, I feel so grateful to have developed that skill to be able to actually like rely on my friends in a healthy way and rely on my family in a healthy way. I didn't always have that skill. Um, and sometimes I would just completely shut down and not, not let anyone in. Um, and that's just like, it's just not something I ever want again. Like I, I want to feel, I think none of us can get through it alone. Um, yeah. again, with the caveat that codependency is a slippery slope. Um, but yeah, I do think having someone there is just always really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. I feel like even to just distract me, I would just text friends who maybe even didn't know what was going on at the time for that situation in my life. I just knew that he understood and like, mm-hmm. he just was really good at handling me in that time of my life. Um, but now it's like when I do feel heightened anxiety, anxious feelings, um, again, it's just like text somebody to just kind of like distract myself. And also like, it's nice to reach out to your friends every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to explain though a bit of like the codependency thing? For sure. Yeah. So I think, um, it's like, it's like what you said, like you get really comfortable with someone and you realize that they're, they're your person. Like they can kind of talk you down or they know, they know how to handle you in that bit. And I think where the line is for codependency was, there was a point where I thought there was only one person that could help me. And it was that person. And I was in a relationship. Um, and what, as I was learning kind of as a lot of the anxiety came on and then as I was learning to name it as well. Um, and so I think where that slippery slope was, was somehow I convinced myself that this person was the only person who, um, was able to help me, but also the only person who wouldn't judge me, um, for, being this way, you know, because especially at that time still, like, I wouldn't say it was a facade of, you know, achievement and anything like that. Like, I don't think that's a facade, but I think I was really scared of showing all the parts of me to people. Um, even my closest people who definitely knew things were going on, like they were not, but in my head, I was like, Oh, but I can't like, I can't lean on them, which now in retrospect was just a completely made up thing in my head. Um, and I think the really big problem with that, especially when you're still figuring out your mental health, you're pretty young. Um, and you start kind of thinking there's only one person that can help you is that when it might be time to walk away from that person, it literally feels like withdrawal. Like it feels like, like it's not a feeling I would wish on anyone. Um, the anxiety is so heightened. You feel like no one will understand you. No one will be able to help, but getting through that piece, like part of my life and learning how to build support systems that aren't codependent has truly been like one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. Um, I think for a long time, like I just didn't see as much, like I've always been a people person, but I can say that with every year that I get older, like people mean so much more to me. I'm just always so just in awe of like my friends and my family and how we all grow together. And, um, just like the ability to not just rely on someone, but also put healthy boundaries down when, when need be on both sides. Um, and I no longer feel that moment, that feeling of like only one person can understand me and only one person can be there for me. Um, I now feel like there are lots of people that understand me and there are lots of people that love me and will be there for me. 
but also that if none of them are able to, because they have put a boundary down that I can support myself most of the time. Obviously there are situations where like, sometimes you just need someone and that's totally okay. Um, but yeah, I'm just like, I'm really proud of the community I built for myself and the support system. And I hope that everyone who's part of like my support funnel feels like I'm also there for them, um, in a way that's like fulfilling and meaningful. Cause that, I mean, honestly, like, I know it's so cheesy, but like, that's what it's all about. Like people are what we live for at the end of the day, like everything else comes and goes, but our relationships and, and how we support each other and love each other and enjoy each other's company. And, but also put boundaries down with each other. Like I've just really been learning how important that is to me and my mental health. Yeah. I feel like you just explained the entire human experience. Like (laughs) it's really, no, it's truly, it's like, you're so right. Like it's all about connection. Like everyone wants to have somebody have to have people in their lives. And like, unfortunately you can't really just rely on one person Um, especially you can't rely on one person for, you know, your, for like everything, but like you can assign, not assign different roles, but I mean, different friends, you know, you do different things with like some friends can be more reliable for like, when you're going through a bad day, other friends can be more reliable when you just want to have like a drink, like, you know what I mean? There's different people for those different roles. Um, and you know, I've been finding like, especially with this, with the pandemic and like another lockdown, you know, I'm here with my family still. And like, it's nice that I've like forged um, a really great relationship, I think, with each of my family members and like become, you know, we, we've always had a, a good relationship, but I would say it's even stronger ever since like, I got out of a relationship and then I moved back home. And similar to you, like, before then, I really did put a lot of my um, emotional and like mental you know, struggles into that person. And I think that's natural is to like put it into your romantic relationship because that's the relationship you're really trying to build and like have forever. But it's so important that we recognize that like there's other people in our lives who like care about us. And mm-hmm. I can say like you, like my friendships have become like so pivotal to like my, my life and, you know, without like certain friends and again, certain friends who play different roles in my life, like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the support that I need for when I'm going through like a rougher day or when I need a friend to just like make me laugh. Like, you know, everybody, everybody needs different people for different things in their lives. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think that, yeah, you're like, it's natural to want to put so much emotional energy, both positive and negative into one person. But I think, um, I I think it can just get So you can miss out on so much by doing that, you know, and I, I hope that as I get into new relationships and over the last few years, as I have, you know, gotten to know new people that, um, I hope I can strike that balance. Like I'm still learning, um, be when you develop a pattern of codependency, like really early on, I think it's hard to break. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also come from an Eastern European family where like, there is this weird expectation that like your family is absolutely everything and your partner has to be everything. Like, you know, everyone has to just read each other's minds. And I think that's a cultural thing as well. So kind of breaking that and just realizing that like, I want to have this really strong and meaningful relationship with a partner hundred percent, but they can't be everything. Like we yeah. still have to diversify. <laughs> like we still have to build our support systems or else inevitably we're going to get disappointed. And it's just like, it's not going to be that helpful or like joyful to our mental health so yeah no I agree I I feel like I've seen things like I've experienced like someone saying like you're my entire world 
And like, that's, that's a big burden. Like not, not that it's a burden, but that's a lot to carry. It's just a lot. Yeah. And I think that like, for me, at least I've always felt like, and I think similar to what you were saying about like with my family is that I say, I have to say quietly because they're right (laughs) by my door, but um, no, they know, they know that we have like a very intense connection. I would say Um, it would, you know, like I would describe it as like, um, you know, it has its moments where I would say it verges on not the, like, like the healthiest, (laughs) because, you know, like, I think, you know, I think we come from similar back, like similar backgrounds and the mentality, um, the mentality is really just like family is everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that always comes first. And of course, you know, I really like, we always want to put our family first, but sometimes you also have to put a boundary between what you, what you are feeling because you're getting these heightened, I don't know, you're getting anxious or you're, it's, it's too much to, to carry right now. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And then you bring that to a relationship. It's like, it can't happen. Like everyone, everyone has so many things going on in their lives. You can't put that on one person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The family thing is so true. I have a, I also have an intense connection uh, with my family or the connections can get intense. And I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand because my family, like we're both so close, but we all, we we're all so close, but we also drive each other nuts. And um, to me to completely cut off my family for my mental health, like that is, is not, I think I've actually, I think I've talked about this in an episode. Um, I have high functioning where I was on exchange and I had my family, like it was really hard for my mom. And so my mom was really anxious about it. And I can say this now because my mom's also done a lot of work on her anxiety. Um, and it's been really awesome to see all of our progress and how our relationships have evolved. Um, but her anxiety was rough. So she was calling me all the time and I'm on the other side of the world and I'm just trying to enjoy myself. And it was really weighing heavy on me. And I went to a therapist in England and they were just like, oh, we'll just don't answer the phone. Like, just don't answer your mom. And I was like, that's not going to help. Like, no, that's not going to work. So I think what's really helped me is understanding that like both can be true. Like they can drive you absolutely nuts, but also like you need them. Like I, or like, I, I love my family so much and I never want to live in a world where I completely cut them out, but I've had to learn how to stand by my boundaries, even when that causes rifts sometimes, because I know that the rift won't last forever because our foundation is just so full of love and, and that connection um, and family first. But sometimes I have to be like, all right, friends, like, or all right, family, like <laughs> I'm going to go now, like moving out. You know, I, I, I don't know what it's like in your family, but like in my family, like moving out before marriage was like unheard of. And yet everyone in our generation did it. Um, and like, still, we still get crap for it. Um, but I think it's, it was a boundary that I needed to put down. And for the longest time it was like, oh, well, you must just not love us. Or you must just not like enjoy our time together. And it's like, it wasn't that. And I had to learn that too. Like I wasn't moving out because I hate my family. Like this was just something I needed to do for my own mental health. And maybe someone else could do it. Like maybe someone else could live at home and be totally fine. And that's cool for them. But for me, I needed to do this for my mental health so that I could still maintain a healthy and loving relationship with my family. And like, I love, again, love my family and I love the connection we have now. But when I live at home, that connection, it does, that's not what happens to me. 
That's totally fair. I honestly, I really get that. Um, my parents never said like I could never move out or it wasn't really talked about that I couldn't move out before marriage, but it was more so a thing. Like when I came back every time I, I talk about like being home and how maybe I'd like to look for a place, it becomes like, I just love having you here so much. Yeah. It's like it's so precious. And I know it's like part of me does not want to leave, but at the same time, this is just the way it works. And like, <laughs> we all have to do it at some point. I mean, some people don't, but we all have, we to all, we all have to grow up. Also. Yeah, exactly. our, our parents included, they also have to grow up and become <laughs> empty nesters when it's time for them. Yeah. Yeah. In their own difficult ways, but yeah. And it makes us all feel uncomfortable. That's the reality of it. But we learn and we sit in that discomfort yeah. and recognize yeah. that there's good at the end as well. Like just cause it's uncomfortable now doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. Yeah. We have to work through discomfort. Like that's, that's something that I'm very adamant about is yeah. Those, yeah. Those things like nothing ever changes when you're, when you're comfortable with the pandemic. So we're in another, we're in another quarantine and you've mentioned, so you have anxiety. You also experience, you know, seasonal affective disorder um, or you, I think, right. You mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That before. So that's called, that's uh, it's called sad how have you been finding your anxiety and sad during these times? Uh, it's hard. These it's really times. these unprecedented times. Uh, it's really hard. Um, I don't know. I wish there was like, I'm usually pretty good with words, but it's just sucks. Like there's just no other way to put it. I think, uh, a lot of the coping strategies I've developed are based on people and activity and exercise, Um, And being stuck in the same place while it's dark out and cold and like, it's just, it's not conducive to the strategies that I've developed. Um, I will say like, it's a little, it's every year it gets a little easier. Um, It's a bit easier to determine like what's going to set me off, like what I need in order to, um, in order to feel better. And also uh, sometimes it's easier not to give in to the things that I know will make me feel worse. Um, for instance, like napping, um, it feels like I need it, but I know it's going to make me feel worse. And I think like our first lockdown winter, I was napping all the time and I just could not resist it. Like, even if I knew it was going to make me feel worse, I just could not stop napping. Um, this winter I feel a bit, I find it a bit easier to resist it and be like, no, it's going to make me feel more anxious, more uncomfortable. Like, yes, it feels like it's going to fix it. But as soon as I wake up and I'm groggy and I'm uncomfortable, like that's not going to help and trying to replace that with like really healthy, like as healthy as I can. Like I know, I know we're not, people won't see this, but they'll hear me, but for what it's worth, I just did healthy in air quotes because like I, it's hard to be healthy, but I know that like eating better, like trying to do some exercise, doing exercise at home is like the hardest thing for me. It just oh, does not work, especially during the winter. Like all of that just sounds like a horrible mix of um, failure. Oh, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> there's like no space. Like yeah. there's barely any, it's hard. So yeah. I try not to like beat myself up for it either, but I do know that naps don't work <laughs> yeah. trying to avoid uh, things that like really you know you've noticed don't work for you and just make yeah. your sad worse and also will you yeah. tell us what sad is yeah so seasonal affective disorder it's um essentially just like a change in mood a persistent change in mood because of things like weather or seasons um for me it's usually like the darkness yeah. um 
I like the way I pres the way it presents in me is usually just like lower energy, um, definitely more bouts of depression, bit harder to get out of bed. Um, the depression kitty just like stays around a little longer in the winter. She's like warmer in the winter, less motivation. Yeah. 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 So that's how it presents in me. I think it's different for everyone, but as soon as it starts getting dark and cold, um, and especially with the lockdown, like it's no, it's just really hard to stay kind of above water. It's, it's really, really hard. And I think there's nothing we can really do except continue treading and hoping for the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think when the pandemic started and our first winter through it, like, I think a lot of people really went for the, okay, I'm going to try and do this. And I'm going to have this checklist. And I'm going to do this workout and this, whatever. And that does not work for me. Like I really have to follow my, my body and my mind as I move through my coping strategies. Um, and it's a fine line. Like sometimes I follow my body into taking too many naps and I wake up and I feel like crap. And sometimes I can be like, okay, no, like I haven't really eaten anything all day. Cause I haven't had much of an appetite, but now I'm anxious. So maybe if I eat something, and like that will help. So I'm really not someone who can say like during the winter, I have this perfect routine and I do all of these things to kind of prevent feeling super overwhelmed and having more kind of being more prone to anxiety and depression. I'm not, I'm not perfect at it by any means, but I think also just like having grace with yourself and trying to follow things that have worked for you in the past. Like, that's just what I'm trying. We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to survive. Yeah, no, that's very fair there's a lot of pressure to be and to do certain things in, in the world and like to be a certain way in society. Um, but right now I think a lot of people are just more accepting of the fact that like, we're really just trying, okay, you know, I can't do this because of COVID. And so I just have to like find healthier coping, coping mechanisms in order to survive this. (laughs) Just trying our best, whatever that is. And like, to say that I don't slip up would just be such a lie. Um, I think what my best looks like changes all the time. Um, but yeah, we're just honestly just trying to survive. Like none of this thriving bullshit. Like I don't thrive in the winter. I definitely do not thrive. I like barely survive in a way that gets me (laughs) until the sun is out again. And then that moment that it's like a decent day out and the sun is out, I just stand there in front of the sun, like just letting all that like vitamins in. And I'm like, okay, maybe I can handle this now. Like maybe I can start living life in a slightly more fulfilling way than what that dreaded winter gave me. Yeah. It's, and it's like crazy. Cause I mean, that's, the majority of our year, I feel like is spent in like a gloomy kind of essence. Um, and you know, it's cold for a couple, like, you know, quite a few months, like five months. I don't know why we're not just moving to Florida. Yeah. And then I'm like, we can't even complain about the weather. Cause like we could move, like yeah. nothing is stopping me. And yet, I don't know, maybe we just like the experience. <laughs> you know what? There's nothing like that first day of like slightly warm weather and the sun is out. Like that feeling is just such a wonderful feeling. That's maybe why we all suffer through it for that first day. You gotta, you gotta go through the hard days to appreciate the good ones, right? (laughs) Amen to that. Amen to that. What are some, what are some coping mechanisms or things that you do when, you know, you're trying to like beat um, some anxious feelings or feelings of depression? Yeah. I think I, I, yeah, like you said, it really does depend on the day. Like I, I am on medication, um, for depression and anxiety and that helps a lot. 
Um, it helps me get to the point where I can actually think about coping strategies, um, I think is the way to put it. I think some people think, oh, it just, it numbs you entirely or just takes away all of the anxiety and depression. Like that's not what it is at all. It just kind of gets me to a place where I can be like, oh, I see what's happening and I can actually use coping strategies instead of just like continuously trying and failing and just getting more deeper and deeper into feelings of like mentally unstable and like mentally unhealthy. Um, I don't think medication is the answer for everyone, but it really worked for me and I'm very grateful for that. Um, and so that's a big, that's a big part of my coping. Um, and just checking in with that, like if something feels off with my medication, like going to the doctor, doing all that, um, that being said, like the day-to-day stuff, honestly, it really depends. I find that the healthier I am in terms of like physical health, the better I feel, Um, so sometimes it is just like really, really encouraging myself to do some sort of exercise. And when I say exercise, I don't always mean a workout. Like sometimes a walk will really just do it. Like I really love walking and listening to a podcast and, um, those little walks, they get us through right now. They really do. Like, I know there's so many memes about those stupid, silly little walks, but (laughs) you know, they really help. Um, and one thing that was really hard for me in the last couple of months is I, um, I tore my Achilles tendon and so I couldn't walk. Yeah. Um, and so it was like getting darker, it was getting colder and I couldn't walk. And I just felt like that was a really big impact, um, on my mental health. So that's a big thing for me is like just walking, doing some sort of intentional movement. Um, blasting music is like one of my faves, like just kind of like shaking it out, um, really helps. Um, and then, yeah, when all else kind of fails, like, calling a friend (laughs) I'll use my call a friend card just to (laughs) laugh like honestly it's not always for someone to kind of be there for you even um but my friends are freaking hilarious and sometimes all you need to get out of your head is just to like really laugh with the people you care about um and so I'm grateful that I have that but yeah I think it really does depend on the day um what strategy kind of works and it's just nice to have a full toolkit like and to have an ever growing toolkit of things I can do when I feel like you know it's going to it's going to be a tough day and sometimes none of those things work and so when none of those things work it's kind of like okay do I need to take a day off work today maybe and do I just need to be like really kind to myself as best as I can even if the day is entirely made up of like Uber eats, laying in bed and like doing absolutely nothing. Those are really hard days, but they happen. And I don't know, easier said than done to not be pissed at yourself for those days. But that's been a huge part of my coping too, is just learning to like have grace and compassion with myself. Yeah. Like when you need to just sit in it, there's something, there's like nothing that can be done. That'll really get you out of the funk. Yeah. I think that I like what you said about the toolkit. Like it's really, I think it's really important to have like a toolkit of things that you can go to, to try and get out of that. That's, that's really important. Um, but yeah, like you said, you can't always just like snap out of it. It's not, it's just, it's just not possible. And, um, you know, sometimes I know you said that you're, you're hard on yourself, but I think that it's, you know, it's good that you at least like try to be, kind to yourself and compassionate when those times arise you know the reason it's not every day is because I've done that work and I've asked for help and I've you know I go to therapy and I have the medication that works for me and all of that and so I live a life that's like fairly normal you know or like normal for me it's a life I'm happy with Um, and so when I have those days it's like all right like here we are 
this isn't, I know this isn't forever. I know this feeling doesn't last forever. I know there were times that it definitely felt like it was going to last forever, but it didn't because I didn't feel like this yesterday. And that's a pretty, pretty like remarkable thing. Um, so yeah, just being like, all right, like, don't be an asshole to yourself. Like you would never talk to your friends that way. So why would you talk to yourself that way? Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's very true. So with that, do you feel like your anxiety though, like on the other end, does your anxiety ever benefit you in some ways? Does it ever, you know, motivate you or do things for you that you would say is a, is a plus? Yeah. I go back and forth on this question. There's, um, there's a scene in like, have you watched the show Ginny and Georgia? No, I haven't. It's super cute. It's like nothing that, you know, amazing, but um, there's a scene where it's a daughter and mother and the mother has gone through like all this hell to try and provide this life for her daughter, but she doesn't tell her daughter like all of her deep, dark secrets. And so when her daughter starts to find out, like her mother, she says something to her like, oh my gosh, mom, like you're so strong. Like, you know, I don't know how you are, how you are like essentially complimenting her. Like she's accomplished everything she has in her life because of all of her hardships. Mm -hmm. And she says something like, no, honey, like if none of that happened to me, I'd be president of the United States. And it was like the first time I've kind of seen that acknowledged of like, it's not what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like what doesn't kill you, like really leaves a mark. You know, it's, it's, I don't, I'm kind of shifting from that. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger to like, no, like perhaps there have been times it's held me back and it's okay to grieve that and to recognize that. That being said, like, it's such a part of who I am and how I interact and how I live my life. And I'm like getting to a point where I'm really kind of happy with who I am as a person. And I, I think it would be false to say that I am like that the parts of me that I love don't have something to do with my struggles and my mental health. Um, I, I connect with people deeply. Like I have a lot of empathy, I think. And um, I've been, I've been told that people enjoy interacting with me and, and having those harder discussions. And I think a lot of that is because of my experiences and, and how I've lived my life through mental health. So it's kind of this like double-edged, like it's like, you know, both sides of it in that, yeah, there's definitely things that I've grieved um, that I felt like I couldn't do, or I felt like I couldn't experience in the same way other people could because of my depression and anxiety. For instance, like having really extreme anxiety during university. Like I love my university time, but there are parts of it that I look back on and I'm like, Oh, I was so anxious during that party. Or I was so anxious during this. Or like, I wish I could have just enjoyed it more. Um, so I think I can grieve that and also acknowledge that like the person I am, the empathy that I have, and then just genuine compassion that I have for people in the world. I think, I think that also comes from that same thing that I grieve. So both can be kind of true if that makes sense. Yeah. I like how you said that. I find, I don't know. All I can think of saying is like, that's very powerful thing to have when we do live in such like a connection oriented worlds in society. Um, so although it's like anxiety and you know, your, your depression has like taken you through some extremely, I'm sure difficult moments. It also has given you the ability to be there for others who might need your support or just you know, need a friend or need a, Mm. their sister or their daughter, you know, and see the world in a better light also. Like, I don't know. I don't, I want to, I don't want to say this is the case for everyone, but you know, when you go through rough patches or when like not, when nothing happens to you and you still feel like shit, 
Like, it's like, it's just the weirdest, most annoying thing. And so you become grateful for just like the smallest feelings of peace um, and like joy and laughter. So I think my gratitude um, for things in life is, is so much more because I know what it's like to feel like you're really at the bottom. Like there's just no way out. Um, and I really like that about myself. I think it makes for like a happier life to just come through life with more gratitude and um, see more joy and like color in things most of the time, or at least some of the time, because obviously, you know, the depression, anxiety still sprinkles a lot of like annoyingness into it. But yeah, you kind of learn. I don't want to say it's a silver lining thing because it's not. But when you've been in the depths of it, it's like, whoa, like just being able to laugh at a silly show is just like so much more meaningful um, than just laughing at it for you know, because you just feel like it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And this idea that you said, like with joy, I like that you kept on saying joy because joy is different than happiness. I feel like when you have anxiety or depression or other mood disorders, um, it's happiness is something that everyone says like, oh, be happy. Or just like, it's a very all encompassing thing. Happiness. Whereas joy can come from the smallest of things. Like literally I see like a cute little caterpillar and it brings you joy, you know? So if we look for more things that bring us joy, generally I feel like boosts our mood and makes us more happy. If, if that makes sense. No, fully. It's like as, as people who struggle with their mental health, you know, you you're forced to look for little moments of joy because how else are you going to get through it? Like, otherwise I'm just going to be such a low and uncomfortable version of myself. So I definitely really try as my coping strategies, like to look for those moments of joy and, and really sit in it when I can. Um, I find that one thing I've noticed about my anxiety is sometimes it blocks me from like being present. Um, and I used to like really grieve that, but now I find that, um, I'll take pictures and I'll still, I can relive the joy that I should have felt in that moment, but through pictures. Um, and again, it's like an adjustment because anxiety doesn't, it, it means I'm not going to experience life. Maybe the way someone who doesn't have anxiety will, and there will be times that I'm too blocked. I'm too uncomfortable. And I just can't fully be present in that moment and feel that joy in that moment. But I can look back on pictures and go, Oh, actually like, how lucky was that? Like I had a birthday weekend. And even though I had a really lovely time, like my birthday gives me a lot of anxiety And so I made sure to take a lot of pictures and I, I tried my best to be in the moment, but it's hard, um, when you're anxious. And so being able to look back at those pictures and be like, wow, like that was really fun. That was actually really fun. And even though there were these moments that I couldn't be fully present, I was a little bit more in my head, like that was still really fun for me. And, and, you know, the little things that happened were really joyful and, um, they brought us a lot of laughter and I was with the people I loved. So instead of just saying like, Oh, that was like a happy, amazing weekend. It's like, no, there were a lot of moments of joy. Yes. I was blocked from some of them like mentally, but I can look back at the pictures and be like, no, that was a moment of joy. And that brought me some like excitement. And I'm, I'm proud of myself for recognizing that instead of just like blanking, blanketing it as like, I think the whole like be present advice is not meant for anxious people. Like you just can't, you know? So being able to still find that joy in my own way, as someone who does experience heightened anxiety, especially around big happy moments like my birthday or like big holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been my way of kind of moving through the world, I guess. 
Also, like telling yourself to be present makes it so much harder to be present, I find, especially for anxious people. Like maybe maybe if you're not someone prone to anxiety, it's fine. But like the more I tell myself to be present, the more aware I am of how not present I am. Yeah. So, yeah, I just I've kind of that's still a struggle for me. But coming to terms with the fact that I will likely be anxious around big celebratory type things. And that doesn't my lack of full presence or full comfort doesn't mean it's not also fun. It's just a different kind of fun. It's like a slightly detached figuring it out. I'm still safe. It's okay type of fun. Um, whereas previously I'd just be like, oh my God, like I couldn't be present. It wasn't fun. I'm so in my head. Like, and I just get so pissed at myself and I'm just like really trying not to do that. Um, when like big happy things come around. Cause that's just, I don't know. It's just, it's who I am. I'm learning. You learn, you learn what makes you take and what makes you like what triggers you. And it's really hard. Cause sometimes you figure out that like, oh yeah, happy things, really happy events are really hard for me. Like that's not something that I want by any means, but like my in the meantime until happy events in the in the hope that one day I won't be anxious around really happy or celebratory events in the meantime my strategy is to give myself grace around not being present and to take lots of pictures and to just see what happens um, and find joy in the pictures and find joy in like the moments that were captured I hope one day I have no anxiety around celebratory events and I can just truly be at peace and enjoy them Um, but in the meantime, you know, figuring out that's, yeah, it's fine. It's fine if we're not fully present because that's just what our brains are allowing us to do at that moment. And we're going to try and move past that, but telling myself be present, it's like, nah, (laughs) now I'm stuck in an endless loop of distraction. Yeah. Yeah, Fair enough. No, you, you have to just kind of like, let it, let it go. Let it like, let yourself get through it we talked a lot about support um, and the importance of having people in our lives. And I know you talked about a previous relationship that, you know, you kind of looked to a partner and maybe it was, it was too, too codependent. Um, so how has anxiety, you know, having anxiety affected dating and your relationships, like romantic relationships? Yeah. I think it's like, it's such a part of me that um, this is, this is really going to simplify it, and I don't fully believe this, but it's like, you know, I'm a software engineer and a lot of people don't understand what I do day to day. So like, I have to explain what I do for my job and I have to explain how I get anxious sometimes, you know, like they're just like parts of me that come up inevitably. They're going to come up because there's something that exists in me and exists in the way that I live my life. Um, obviously anxiety is like a bit more emotionally impactful, um, than explaining what I do for work. Um, but yeah, it, like, it, it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, I've in the last few years, like have done like a very, like very casual things. Like I've gone on first dates, have done things that are a bit more serious and it comes up across the board, honestly. Like it's something I have to be really honest with myself about. And if I do find that it's creeping in, in a way that is more than the person I'm with has signed up for, Um, I have to be honest with them and I have to also let them put down their boundaries. And I think that's something I've learned as well is like, if I'm entitled to boundaries, other people are too. Um, And I say that with relationships and with friendships, like people can put boundaries down and say like, Hey, this is too much for me right now. And it doesn't mean that they hate you or that they're like unhappy with you or anything, but um, 
you know, someone else's anxiety can be really hard and can be really triggering. Um, can that break up a relationship hundred percent? And I don't think that has anything to do with like not having a mutual love for each other or a mutual like connection. I think sometimes we just don't have the space to take on, um, other people's heaviness. And obviously, you know, in a romantic setting, you inevitably are going to take on a bit more and be a bit more looser with your boundaries than you would be with your friendships. Um, and I think that's part of it, but sometimes it's okay if that space can't be had in that moment. And I think I've seen that too of like, you know, just even myself, like not having, because of my own, you know, if I had a heightened anxiety, like my own, I've had to put more boundaries down and be like, I actually don't have space for someone else's um, mental health right now. And it's like, okay, so then maybe we just like, the best thing is to just walk away. Um, and I don't know if that's like the perfect way to go about it, but I do think the biggest way it comes up is like boundary setting and recognizing, like letting someone say like, Hey, that might be a bit too far. Um, and then also on the flip side, like not letting my brain move too far away from like what reality is. Like, I think especially in a new, like something new, um, you can just get really like, okay, but what's going to happen and like plan out the entire trajectory up until it ends. And it's like, it's been like three dates and you're just like, (laughs) why am I doing this? And I know for me, that's an anxious response, like planning that all out and kind of thinking, like thinking ahead to its end is like super anxious response for me. So when I notice that I'm doing that a lot, I really have to check in with myself and be like, is there a conversation I need to have with this person? Like, is there a boundary I need to set? Is there something I need to share? Like, what do I need to do so that I'm not sitting here planning for its end, you know, when it's just started and it could be something positive. So I haven't quite cracked the anxiety in relationships or depression in relationships, but um, not that I know that, not that I've cracked the other things, but it's probably the part of my mental health that I feel the least confident about. Um, but I think what I've, what I'm learning is, you know, try not to take things personally. Mental health is really, really hard for everyone and boundaries are super, super important. No, that's right. I can tell that you like, I can tell that you're someone who reflects and like, you know, has actually like been doing the work to try and better this for yourself and like your future relationships. So that's great. Like we said before, like you can't kind of bear every, like one, one person can't really take on all of, all of another person's, um, like worries and fears. It's something that, you know, we all have to work on ourselves and then look to our partners for support really. Um, and we have to express how we want to be supported. Like, I don't know if you found this, but I know I was not good at expressing how I needed support except for when I was going through panic disorder, because all I really needed at that point was someone to be with, because I thought I was going to die every five seconds, but also, um, had my partner not been good at handling that, it could have been a situation where like someone might've felt like very, very overwhelmed by how much I needed someone around. Like I would literally text my roommates and be like, are you guys going to be home soon? Because I didn't want to be alone. And I, I knew that like someone had to be around or I felt like someone had to be around. Yeah. You know, it's like setting those, those uh, boundaries to like, make sure that everyone's comfortable with, you know, how we're responding. Yeah. You bring up such a good point of like knowing how you need to be supported. Like people aren't mind readers. That's something that I've really had to learn because it's just not something I was taught. Um, The idea of like being really explicit about your needs um, all across the board, but particularly in relationships is so important. And I just, I kind of grew up in a way thinking like the whole princess and Prince Charming thing, like, well, they'll just know 
how I need to be supported and they'll just know how to love me and they'll just know what I need. And that just could not be farther from the truth. Um, that being said too, like, I think you have to give space to both you figuring out what you need and then also your partner learning how to be that. And sometimes like, again, sometimes that doesn't work out and that's really crappy. But I think, um, one thing that I've struggled with is just expecting like, Hey, okay, I've learned how I need to be supported. So like here, I'm telling you, so now you need to know right away how to do it, you know? And like, Oh, but I told you, and you're not doing it. And it's like, giving space for that to develop, um, in a fair way. And of course, if it's not developing and you know, that's what you need and you know, that's what you need from your partner to be successful walking away when, when you realize that, you know what, actually like, this is not compatible. Um, but these are all things that like, I'm really learning now. Um, and I wish, like, I'm not going to say that, like, you know, people in high school shouldn't get into relationships, but it's so different when you're 16 getting into a relationship and you're anxious and you're depressed and you don't know what the hell is going on. Yeah. And you start building all these like silly strategies that you think are coping strategies, but they're actually like really toxic. And then you get into your mid twenties or like late twenties getting there. Um, oh my God. <laughs> and suddenly you're like, oh wait, like. I need to talk about my needs and I need to learn what I need. Like yeah. we talk about it. Like I'm, I'm not great about like talking about sex, let's say, but we're, we're, I'm finding this revolution where people are starting to be like, no, 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 you have to talk about what you want. Like your partner can't just like, like a guy's just not going to know what, what to do, you know? And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to do that. And I have to tell them what I need in terms of support. And I have to tell, you know, and it's really overwhelming. A lot of communication um, has to be done. Yeah. But like, you got to do it. You got to do yeah. it. And I'm, I don't have this like shiny example of me doing it. Like, it's not like I'm in like a healthy thriving relationship now by any means, but um, I'm figuring it out. And I'm like, I can just, I can see all of the the blind spots that I've had over the years because of God knows what, like, you know, media convinced me was the right way to be in a relationship. Rom-coms are like really nice to watch, but they don't really give you a a real scoop on what a relationship looks like. Yeah, not at all. Like, where are they like sitting and having those awkward conversations? Because like, there is, it is so awkward to talk about what you need for your mental health. Like, yeah, sometimes I just start crying uncontrollably (laughs) and like, it's not your fault, but like, it's going to feel like it's your fault. And I might say something that may make it feel like it's your fault even more, but that's just part of my reaction. And like, you can tell me not to do that, but then I don't know that I'll listen yet. And like, I'm still figuring anyways, it's just like a whole spiral, (laughs) It's a whole spiral. And then they're like, "Uh uh-huh. Then they're like, can I tell you how I need to be supported? And I'm like, no, no, I can't handle that. No, I'm just kidding. It always has to be a two-way street, but it's hard. That's what it is. It's like, you have to learn your own ways of how you need to be supported. And then you also have to learn the ways of your partner. I think that's something I really took from my last relationship and just like have been learning throughout, like, you know, while dating and just basically living, um, is that like, I have certain ways that like, I feel supported and I feel loved. And it's the same thing with like love languages and stuff like that, that you're the person that you're with is also going to have those love languages, those ways they need to be supported. And, you know, you're right. Like sometimes that won't be, you won't be able to find a match with a certain person because of the way that they, unfortunately, like not unfortunately, it's in the end, it's, it's just reality. Yeah, it's yeah. Just reality. But someone might not be able to support you in the way that you need. And it's, it is what it is and it sucks. And 
I think like, yeah, reading something recently of just that of shifting the mindset from like, I'm dating to get married to like, I'm just dating to find joy. And like, I think that's a big one. I wouldn't say that I ever fully lived in that I'm dating to be married mindset. Like it never really quite sat well with me, but um, I like that. I liked explicitly seeing something that shifted that for me and seeing that other people see that as well, because yeah, like when you're, when you're just dating for this end goal, um, you forget all of the other things you need to just like be happy day by day. And even though the communication bit can feel like, oh, it's this heavy thing that I need to do if I'm really investing in the relationship. It's like, no, if I'm going to spend an extended amount of time with you, even if it's like for six months, like you're going to get to know me, you're likely going to see me get anxious. Like I would rather just have that conversation and be like, Hey, like, this is what I like in bed. And this is what I need to do when I'm freaking the fuck out. Um, <laughs> like maybe not day one, but like <laughs> pretty close. Like, and I'm not great at that yet. Like it's, I say it in theory more than in practice, but I think like, that's what I want to build towards is being able to be like, Hey, yeah, like you're going to be this person in my life. Like who knows how long you'll be here, but I want it to be fun while it is. Um, And if it works, it works. And we continue to build on that. And eventually that leads into like a lifelong partnership. But if it doesn't, I don't want to be like miserable the entire time. Oh my God. Yeah. Super important. Like, um, you know, if you're dating, I don't know. And if you're an anxious person, like if you're in the mindset, like I'm dating to marry this person that can, that can increase the anxiety that can like make it harder and put pressure on you and put pressure on the relationship. So much pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, who needs that? You don't need the pressure. Like I, yeah, I don't know. I still think there's still there's still so much I want to learn about myself in terms of like how I am in a partnership that to say that I'm ready to date someone for a lifelong commitment. Again, I'm not against it, but like it just feels it feels like too much like it, yeah. it right now. And yeah, yeah, we've been freaking living in God knows what for it's too much. It's let us breathe. Yeah, we're still like 24 basically because of the <laughs> exactly right. Like, so how old are we when young. it started? Huh. We turned what 27 this year, yeah. we're the same age, right? Yeah, yeah. oh my god, okay. how did that happen? I, my co workers are all like are mostly in like their 50s and over, and so I love it. They're always like, You're so young, you're so fruitful, you're so beautiful. Oh, it's great, you have so much to live for. I'm like, Okay, I'm rolling with this. Yeah, like, honestly, being around like older people and they're like, It just gets better. I'm like, Oh, it better. I hope so. Like, <laughs> do you have you been watched? Do you watch Sex in the City? No, I've like, okay. I've watched clips of it here and there, but not a big, not a huge, like, committed fan. Okay, that's I'm not, I honestly, I only watched the whole like sex in the city like in 2020 when the pandemic first started of course but the new episodes everyone's been like shitting on it because like it sucks because the way that they're portraying like now like these glamorous women who are now in their 50s it sucks because you're like this isn't like how you want to look at like how my life is gonna like it makes them sound like they have terrible lives basically mm-hmm. and they're like I mean they're all well off and like they do have good lives so it's just sad it's just sad to see them portrayed like that basically uh-huh. Yeah. No, I really, I really like seeing stories of like, you know, not that it just gets better because I I think there's always going to be stresses in our lives, but I think being in your twenties is a particularly weird time and like very ambiguous. Everyone's in a different spot. Um, there's no, like, I don't know, there's no 
path to follow. And I don't think that there's ever a path to follow, but I think coming from university where like there was a path to follow and then suddenly like not, I think that transition's super hard. So yeah, I, I don't want to find out that like I'm going to be 50 and like still super anxious and not have any, like my coping strategies from 18 to like almost 27 are so vastly different that I definitely, I cannot see a world in which like, I don't get just like more tools in the toolbox. Sure. I'm sure there'll be like new mental health things that pop up, like new Uh situations, but I also think that my toolbox is just going to get bigger. Um, because like, why wouldn't it? I mean, in the last 10 years, like vastly different coping strategies. So um, like 17 year old Brit would be like shocked at the <laughs> level of joy that I'm able to experience in life. So <laughs> I think that's a good spot to end. Honestly, Sounds um, good. it's been so great, Brittany. Thank you for joining me and just being so honest about everything, everything anxiety related. And just, it's been great. I really enjoyed it too. Yeah. And I think it's easy to be honest when, um, when both of us are being honest and vulnerable. And I think it goes back to all that stigma talk we talked about is like, let's keep talking about it. Let's keep normalizing like the discomfort and the weird and the figuring it out because that's what life is. And when you kind of go there, it can also be really rewarding and fulfilling and fun too. Like this conversation was so thank you for having me. That was a heavier episode. So thank you all for listening. I hope you take some time to just unwind from that, um, relax, go for stupid little walks. I know I am. And I hope you have a great two weeks. Bye. Bye.